Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Accept people for who they are and their faults and just listen. I just always was just fascinated to meet and know people, you know, and hear other people's stories. And I've always just had good energy and just been positive. And that's kind of the main thing. And I like to have fun. I'm also like a really fun person. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Incredible episodes this week, part one and two with one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet, Nick Swartzen. Before I get started, I just want to do what I always do, which is thank you so much for all your support. Can't even begin to tell you how unbelievable it is. You guys are so, so supportive. Thank you so much for all your correspondence. I get to everything eventually, so please be patient. If you've been here before, thanks for subscribing and listening. And if you are here for the first time, I hope you enjoy it as much as we do. And I hope you continue to subscribe and recommend people to the show. It means a lot. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest today and get ready to have a great time. Nick Swartzen grew up in the Minneapolis area and undertook his foray into entertainment as a stand-up comic at a very, very young teenage age. He eventually built up enough confidence and material to headline dates at many nightclubs in the Los Angeles area and across the country. His material often dealt with the absurdities of life of being a young adult but in an incredibly intelligent and unique way. Swartzen quickly and adeptly moved into the feature film business, simply not as a comic actor, but as a scriptwriter. with his first screenplay, the Jamie Kennedy vehicle Malibu's Most Wanted, then via a long-running association with one of the greatest comedian producers in the business, Adam Sandler and his Happy Madison Production Company, for which he scripted and acted 
in the comedies, The Bench Warmers, Grandma's Boy, just to name a few, and co-produced and tackled supporting roles in I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, 30 Minutes or Less, Jack and Jill, Grown Ups 2, Just Go With It, You Don't Mess With the Zohan, Hotel Transylvania, and the cult classic which he also wrote and produced, Bucky Larson. In television, Swartzen's always hit it out of the park and was also one of the regulars on the popular Comedy Central series Reno 911, where he played the iconic character of Terry Bernardino. In addition to a number of comedy albums and hour specials, most recently Swartzen has appeared in the TV series Star Butterfly and Typical Rick, and in the feature films Sandy Wexler and The Do-Over. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend of over two decades, a guy who always blows me away and has done more in the comedy business than most people dream of doing in a lifetime. Please welcome my guest today, Nick Swartzen. Hi, everybody. Great to see you. Thank you. My most incredible memory that I have of you, which is probably an inspirational moment for anybody listening, is I got a call from you to come into my office on a Saturday. I said, what do you need? He said, I need to use your fax machine. And you came into my office with your backpack and shorts, walked up 20 flights of stairs because you don't take elevators. And I said, what do you need the facts? And I'm thinking he's going to give me a Word document or papers or something, but he pulls out this <laughs> notebook. And I said, what's that? He said, I'm going to fax a screenplay to Jamie Kennedy that I wrote. I said, okay, we'll take care of it. And he opens up the notebook, and handwritten is the entire screenplay. Handwritten. And he starts pulling off the pages my floor looks like a paper factory <laughs> and we're faxing one by one and that thing that you did you created on your own in a notebook without any technology became Malibu's most wanted <laughs> and it was your first writing credit and you were also an actor in the film yeah and it changed your life forever and you created it in a spiral notebook yeah I remember that that was crazy yeah, I used to, it's funny when I think back of like, you know, people just don't realize, like back in the day, comedians, we had notebooks, like that's what we had, we had carried it with us at all times. And I would have like a little notebook in my back pocket, and I would jot down my notes and everything, you know, this, nobody had phones or anything. And I would jot down notes and jokes and all these ideas, and I never didn't have my notebook with me. And I still have a lot of my old notebooks, but I remember one time, um, I'm a big drinker, <laughs> really good at it. And uh, when I was younger, I used to drink and drive, which is horrible. But that was when you're young, you're fucking dumb. And uh, <laughs> I was driving from the improv. I'd gotten off stage, and I was going to a bar to meet some friends, and I got pulled over. I'd had about seven drinks, and I got pulled over by the police. And they could get the fuck out of the car or whatever. And they're like, empty your pockets, are you on drugs, whatever. And I'm like, no, I don't do drugs. And they go, you know, empty your pockets, whatever. And so I had my little notebook. 
And uh, they go, where are you coming from? I go, I'm a comedian, I just got off stage. And they're like, okay, the, have you been drinking? And I go, I'm not gonna lie, I had one drink because I do stand-up comedy and it's really scary. This is like 15 years ago. I'm like, I just, it's really scary so I have to have one drink. And the cops are like, oh, really, you do comedy? And I was like, yeah, and they take my little spiral notebook and they go, what's that? And I go, oh, these are my jokes. And they go, okay. So they start flipping through the notebook and I go, what's this joke? And I would tell them and they're like, no, nah, it's pretty good. And they're like, <laughs> and they go, what's this? I'm like, it's an idea I have for a movie. They're like, what's the idea? I'm like, blah, blah, blah. They're like, yeah, that would that could work. And they're like, what's this? And I'm like, it's just another joke. So I told them another joke. And they just look at each other and like, what should we do? And the cop's like, this kid's a fucking comedian, man. Let him go. <laughs> so they just let me go. <laughs> I'll never forget that, my little notebook. What's it? <laughs> I always tell cops, like, like, I never get into trouble, but, like, if I ever got pulled over or something, I, I, I would always say I was going to a gig because it just immediately disarms them right away. So, like, I had a car. I don't know if you remember my old car. It was a piece of shit. It was, like, illegal play. It's one headline. I was get pulled over all the time. And I would always say I was a comedian. I don't, I don't care when, what time of day it was. I'd get pulled over at noon, and they'd be like, hey, uh, yeah, this is all illegal. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm going to a gig. I'm a comedian. And they would always be like, Oh, really? I'm like, yeah. Oh, my God. And they're like, oh, right. oh yeah, okay, go. Go. <laughs> it's always like the get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm a comedian. <laughs> Do you mind telling our audience your process as a teenager from cradle to grave, from the first thought in your mind about Malibu's Most Wanted, which was Suckas with a Z, yeah. to it getting made and you going on set for the first time. This is how it, how it all went down. So I was moved to LA from New York and uh, uh, my agent called me up and he goes, I was trying to get into this club in Arizona, the Tempe Improv. It's one of the biggest clubs. So they called they call me, he's like, hey, they need an MC for the week with Jamie Kennedy. And I like, I didn't want to MC, I didn't want to host. I was, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm above that. But I was like, you know what? Be cool to meet Jamie Kennedy, hang out with him. And just so the audience knows, the three normal traditional slots are MC, which is the lowest spot, feature or middle, which is right before the performer and the performer. And if you're doing concert venue or one-person shows, the opening slot would be akin to between the feature and the MC status. Correct. So I was like, okay, I'll go to Arizona. So I go and open up for Jamie. And we, we become friends. And we're in his hotel room. And he goes, you know that, that character I do on stage of like the white rapper? And I was like, yeah. He goes, I think there's something there, like some maybe a movie or a show. And I was like, yeah, I go. And I just rattled off three scenes right away. I go, you should have this scene. This would be a funny scene. This would be a funny scene. And Jamie goes, do you want to write the movie? And I was like, I can't remember how old I was, 20 fucking something. And I was like, I've never written a movie before. Did you tell him that? Yeah, I go, I don't fucking, what? And he goes, just get a fucking screenwriting book and write it. And I was like, okay. He's like, I'll pay you out of my own pocket. And I was like, okay. So I started writing it and I wrote like... 
got like 20, 25 pages in, I wrote the first act. And Jamie was like, fucking this is awesome. Because it used to be a rated R movie, and it was like a buddy comedy, so it would have been me and Jamie. So he loved it. He was like, this is fucking great. So uh, I started, this is like when I was, I mean, I still party, but this is when I was like really partying. And uh, Jamie's like, dude, you got to finish this. He's like, you're fucking getting drunk all the time. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. He's like, here's the deal. Move in with me. Move in with me. And fucking finish it. I'll pay you out of my own pocket. And I was like, okay. What did he pay you? Uh, Gave me a couple grand. So I was like, okay. So then I finished it. And then uh, I went, that's when I was in New York. Then I went back to New York and uh, kept writing it and kept finishing it on my notebook. And that's when I faxed him the pages. The final thing that you brought to my office that day, I presume that you took all your pages and then rehand wrote it. That's what I did. 105 pages. So. Yeah. And then, uh, it, I mean, it, it used to be called, like you said, Suckas. And it was me and him, and it was rated R, and it was fucking nuts. And that almost got made. I mean, we had producers, we had everything lined up. And Jamie had that show at Warner Brothers, Jamie Kennedy Experiment, which is an amazing show. And uh, Warner Brothers was like, we need a movie for you. So he handed them that script. And they're like, this is fucking insane. So they were like, someone's got to like tone it down a notch. So they had somebody come in and like kind of tone it down to make it PG-13. Actually, they used his showrunners for his show, Fax Bar and Adam Small, who created Mad TV. Correct. And that was a tough moment because, as you know, and probably Adam Sandler would say, don't settle. Don't be in a situation where you compromise what you did originally. And so Fax and Adam, which was hard for him, were his showrunners who I believe he trusted on Jamie Kennedy experiment. Yeah. And then they came in and it was their job to help tone it down. And that's where the edge came off of it. Yeah, 100%. And here's another side note about the business is that anybody will just fuck you. So I wrote that script. Fax and Adam came in, did a rewrite. And then they tried to squeeze me out of it. So, and these are guys that I knew. They were friends of mine, I thought. So I fucking, all of a sudden I get a call. And my, uh, my agent was like, you're getting squeezed out of the script. They were doing a dispute. But the thing is, is that where their mistake was, the way the guild works, you had to make a copy, put it in an envelope, and mail it to yourself and also to the guild with $20. Now you do it electronically. And then it's registered, and anybody who tries to fuck with you, they can't fuck with you because the script is there for you. Now, where Adam and Fax thought they had a shot at taking Nick out was when you rewrite something. If you rewrite it, I believe it's more than 80% of the words rewritten or 75% of the words rewritten if you can figure out how to prove it. You can win, but they didn't rewrite that much of it. So they tried to take me to arbitration and squeeze me out of the goddamn thing. And uh, they lost, of course, because it was like like, like my my entire fucking idea. So for those of you who have never been to an arbitration, it's a fascinating thing. It's basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to settle something beforehand, but you have somebody there who's making the decision. And normally, a lot of times, you're in two separate conference rooms, and there's somebody going back and forth, or were you in the same room? I wasn't even a part of it. You weren't there. No, it was all. a representative there. Yeah. And so here they are. They try to take you out of it, but Jamie is the star. 
can he say to them, listen, stop, this guy did it? No, that's what I was like, dude, what's happening, man? Like, get my back on this. And he was just like, oh, I gotta stay, I just stayed out of it. And I was like, good grief, man. And so, yeah, we arbitrated, they lost. Now, what happened was Jamie had the story credit, right? I think we both had story by. Yeah, so written by you, Adam, and Fax, story by you Nick and, and Jamie. Jamie. And then the, my, this is my favorite part. I don't even know if you know this. So the movie gets made, you know, it does oh. well. We, we go to the premiere. I see fucking Fax and Adam. And Fax comes up to me and he's like, hey, man, sorry about that. Like, you totally should have gotten credit. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> like, what? Why did you drag me through this shit, man? And he was like, you know, whatever. He was he was fine, but it was just like, come on, dude. But it's arbitration's nasty. I've seen it happen a lot, man. I mean, I've been working with Adam Sandler for 15 years, and you know, I've seen him and his writers. I've seen them get arbitrated, and it's like just insane. Like all of my stuff, I'm like, yeah, like I've co-written stuff where people are like, oh, you should take the other guy's name off. I'm like, no, fuck it. I'm like, he just, you know, he, he did part of it. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and life's too short, man. It's very rare when you do a collaboration with anybody and it's 50-50. Even your best friend and the most loving person in your life, it's very rare where there's each person does an equal amount of heavy lifting. Right. But in your case, the studio brought Fax and Adam in. Now, when they were trying to take you out of it, were they also encouraging them to take you out of it as an actor? Well, they, I mean, they obviously rewrote it. So, I mean, it was just a vehicle for Jamie, where it used to be like a two-hander with me and Jamie. So they just, I got clipped out of that, and then they just threw, you know, they threw me in in like a smaller, like, supporting role, which was fine. Like, I, I understood that. I'm not, I wasn't stupid, you know what I mean? I'm not going to be one of those people that, I mean, I, I wasn't a name or anything at the time. I remember having this meeting at Warner Brothers with the president at the time. I said, why is it that Malibu's Most Wanted did $35 million at the box office? Or and the budget of the movie was something like $10 million or yeah. something. So it was a profitable movie for them. And then back then there was DVD, which is huge. People don't realize that. Movies like Dane Cook's Employee of the Month made $80 million in DVDs. Back then, that was a big business. And he shared that it was one of their most profitable movies that year, even though they had big budgeted, huge movies. And I said, how come you never hear you guys talking about it? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Barry, which is sexier? Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, 
we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. To talk about in the room, Batman or Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That's and interesting. Even though they had a property that was making money, they wouldn't talk about it as much because it was more prestigious or gave them more respect to talk about something else. Right. So you're doing that process, so you're going up against Fax and Adam, but your friend Jamie Kennedy doesn't end up fighting for you. How does that affect your friendship with him? I mean, I love Jamie. He's like a brother to me. I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, you know, I, I mean, you know, he was just, he was caught in a tough spot, you know? It was like, these are his showrunners. He's got a show. It's doing well. You know, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. He might have said something, you know what I mean? But I think he was just, just caught in a tough spot. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I get over stuff. I'm, I don't hold like grudges like that. I mean, Jamie, I love, and I, you know, I know him very well. And I know who he is as a person. You know, what was the next time in your life where the roles were reversed, and how did you handle it? where somebody came to you and they on a project you were doing and they said, hey, they're fucking me here. They're trying to do this to me. They're trying to do that to me. And what did you do? I did this. I had my show Pretend Time on Comedy Central. And uh, we did two seasons. And the second season did really well. It was starting to like really take off. We got like a 1.8, which at the time that's, you know... Like, Huge for Comedy Central. So anyway... Show's starting to take off. Network comes to me. They're like, hey, here's the deal. We want to pick the show up again for a third season, but we want to fire the creator, my buddy Tom, who came and he was also the director. So he had come to me with the show. He's like, hey, I want to do this show with you. I was like, okay. Anyway, long story short, they were like, we want you to fire Tom, and then you know we'll pick up the show. And I said, I'm not doing that. And they were like, well, then we're not picking up the show. And I was like, I guess I don't have a show then. So I gave up my own TV shows. They wanted, they wanted me to fire my friend. And I said, no, I gave up the show. Let's pretend the roles were reversed. Tom is you and you're Tom. And they go to Tom and he says the same thing that you say. And then he comes to you and he says, Nick, I'm not doing the show. They want to take you out. Are you the kind of person who says to Tom, Tom, it's your show. I'm going to survive. I'll figure it out. I don't want you to lose your show because of me. Or are you the kind of person that says, fuck yeah, thank you so much for doing that for me? I would yeah. say keep the show. What did Tom say to you? He never knew about that. That, that went down. He just thought the show got canceled. He never knew that I did that. When did he know? He never did. He still doesn't know. There's a power in having information and not sharing it. There's an incredible power about it. What was your motivation for not telling him that? I just didn't want him to have to deal with that or I don't know. You didn't want him to be hurt? Yeah. I have this fond memory of you where I saw you at the Aspen Comedy Festival and I saw you perform, I think, in a ski hat on or whatever the hell it was. You were always so true to yourself. And you came off stage and I was like, man, 
I am just blown away by you. You're going to be a huge star. I don't know if you remember that or not. I, do, I think it was 1996. So for, for those of you watching, I, uh, I started stand-up in, uh, out, of, out of high school in Minnesota when I was 18. And I did an open mic. And uh, six months later, I got picked as one of the top new comics in the country by HBO and Aspen. And I, I'd only been doing it for six months. And I'll never forget that. And that's where we first met. And I had a different manager at the time, Dave Becky. Both Dave, who's at Three Arts, and myself. Apparently, I didn't know he was interested in you, but I told Nick how much I love what he did and how much I would be honored to work with him. But he ended up signing with Dave and Three Arts at the time. And Dave was a young manager, and he was just starting to work out of New York. As a matter of fact, I walked around New York with him, helping him find his office and his furniture. So... I get this Aspen Comedy Festival. So when I started stand-up the year before, I'd read an article in the paper about two comedians from Minnesota that got the Aspen Comedy Festival. And I just, I was interested in comedy, but I was doing like more improv. So I read this article and I'm like, what is this? I'm like, these comedians got this festival. So I was like, I want that. I want to do that. So I started stand-up and then six months later I got the festival which was insane. And I remember when I started Minnesota, and for those like young comics out there, I remember starting stand-up and I said, what's the fastest way I can succeed? And I was like, be clean, which I'm not anymore. Be clean, don't do local jokes, local references, and t write a joke that you can tell in any state, anywhere, and it'll work. So I just formulated this act that you could tell anywhere it was clean, and I just hustled, fucking busted my ass, got this festival, and I'm sure everybody in the industry was like, who the fuck is this kid? And I remember Dave Becky called my house, my mom's apartment in St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, my mom's like, who is this? He's like, is Nick there? Hands me the phone, I'm like, who is this? He's like, my name's Dave Becky, I'm a manager, I work at Three Arts, we work with Chris Rock. He goes, I heard you got the festival. And I go, yeah. He goes, how long you been doing it? And I go, six months. And then I'll never forget this. He goes, did a guy named Barry Katz call you? <laughs> and I go, no. And he goes, okay, good. He goes, can you get on stage tomorrow? And I go, yeah. He goes, I'm getting on a plane tonight. I'll see you tomorrow. He flew to Minnesota. I go on stage, have a great set. We go out to dinner afterwards. He's like, I want to sign you. I go, okay, great. And I looked at him and I go, do me a favor. And he goes, what? And I go, don't fuck me over. And he goes, I won't. I go, no, I'm fucking serious. Don't fuck me over. And he goes, I won't. Signs me. We go to Aspen. I did great, had great sets. That's where we met. And then afterwards, I did. I was up for a couple TV shows. I didn't get them. And then he's like, you know, you should move to New York. I can't represent you if you live in Minnesota. So I go, okay. So I make all these plans to move to New York. I have everything lined up. I'm supposed to leave for New York in a week. Dave Beck, he calls me up. He goes, hey, what's up? Uh, yeah, I, I got to let you go, man. I just, you're... You're just too young. This isn't going to work. 
And I go, I'm moving to fucking New York in a week, as you told me to. And he goes, oh, shit, sorry about that. And I go, yeah, and it's my fucking birthday. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit, really? And I go, yeah. And he goes, oh, all right, well, sorry, man, happy birthday. <laughs> and I hung up the phone. So I moved to New York. I'm like, what the fuck? So pissed. So I moved to New York, sleeping on my friend's floor, and I fucking go to the comedy cellar, and uh, I, I'm just hanging out, and I run into uh, a guy named Vincent Nastry. He used to work with Barry. Vincent comes up to me. He goes, Swartzen, what's going on? I go, nothing. He goes, did you move here? And I go, yeah, I had met Vincent Aspen. He goes, are you still with Dave Becky? I go, no, he fucking fired me. He goes, wait a minute. You don't have a manager? And I go, no. He's like, come to the office tomorrow. We'll fucking sign you. And I came to the office and met with Barry and Vincent. They signed me immediately. <laughs> it's just the look on Vincent's face. He's like, wait a minute. You're free? I was like, yeah. He's like, let's do this immediately. <laughs> and then Barry looks at me. This is one of my favorite moments. He goes, you know what I see in you? He goes, you know what you're going to be? You know who you remind me of? And I go, like Jim Carrey? He's like, no. I go, Adam Sandler? He's like, no. I go, who? And he goes, you're going to be the next Sean Penn. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that. What I saw on you at that time was I saw this guy who had this dramatic side to him and this comedic side. I feel like if there was a possibility to completely clean the slate on anything you've ever done in your life and you started your career today focusing on dramatic roles, I think you'd be one of the greatest dramatic actors out there. I think you have an amazing thing for that, but you've never really gone in that direction. Do you disagree? No, I totally agree. I just did a movie that comes out this year. I did a movie last year with Josh Demel, Olivia Munn, Dax Shepard, a bunch of people. And it's kind of a dark comedy. And there's a scene where uh, my character's, you know, goofy, but like, ground, like grounded and really dark. And there's a scene where my character fucking breaks down and has a complete, like, loses it. So I'm in this scene, I'm taped to a tree, and it's like, a, it's a whole long story, but I just completely break down and start crying and screaming and yelling at this other character, and the fucking <laughs> crew is just dead silent. And afterwards, like, they're like, cut, and the crew was just sitting there, like, and then people just started clapping, so they were like, oh my God, <laughs> like... We just know you as, like, Nick, like, running around the set, like, being crazy. And they were just, everybody was like, Jesus, man. And I was like, yeah. I go, there's a darkness, and it's dark. But yeah. they were, like, blown away. They were just like, holy shit. And yeah. then Todd Phillips, uh, director who did The Hangover and everything, he saw a screening of the movie and uh, emailed me. He's like, that's the, best, that's the best thing I've ever seen you do. It's like, it was crazy. What is it that other comics haven't figured out in the acting world and in the comedy world that you figured out 
to create these bonds that last a lifetime and create the things that keep on giving. They just keep giving and giving and giving, but you're adding value to everything you're doing with these people, but they're giving you value. I just, there's no bullshit with me. So I just, I, I just slowly started to realize in life that it was just, life's so short, you know? And it's like, I just love people. I love stories. I love getting to know people. I love hanging out. Like this comedy festival we're at now, Just for Laughs. You know, I just love stuff like this. I love, you know, seeing other comics, hugging other comics, supporting people. I, you know, I just, and I think I learned it from my dad. My dad was something, uh, the thing that I always loved about my dad that I didn't realize he's passed away. I didn't realize until later in life is my dad was a phenomenal listener. So he would always absorb other people's stories and hear what other people had to say, no matter who it was. He would do it like homeless people, the mayor of St. Paul, anybody. He was just so good. And it's such a key thing to life is like accept people for who they are and their faults and just listen. Like I just... I never like dominated conversation. I never like, I just always was just fascinated to meet and know people, you know, and hear other people's stories. And, you know, I don't know. I've always just had good energy and just been positive And, you know, I don't know. That's kind of the main thing. I just, you know, and I like to have fun. I'm also like a really fun person. You're one of the few guys who actually looks in the mirror and says, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm not a sober alcoholic. <laughs> and I'm figuring it out day by day, and I may stop someday, but I haven't figured it out yet. You're one of the few guys who accepts the fact that I'm doing something that may kill me. <laughs> I can't figure out how to stop it, so I'm just going to roll with it until I figure it out. Well, no, I, that's where I disagree with you, because I have figured it out. So... You know, I started, it's just long story short. Now, when I was in high school, my parents got divorced when I was 13, and I just went off the rails. Huge drug addict, just anything. I was a fucking mess. I was dealing drugs. My friends were in gangs. It was just fucking a shit show. If they had stayed together, would that have happened to you? I don't know. Probably not. Were they arguing a lot before you? Yeah, it was just, it was just a mess. And then my mom just left and then mm -hmm. I moved in with my mom and then she started working like three jobs and then so I just had all the time in the world. You obviously have the gene. Did your dad or your mom have the gene? No. Neither one of them drank? Not really, no. Interesting. So who had the gene in your family? You my grandfather. Both my grandfathers. Anyway, I smoke a blunt in high school, in the fucking school, during the school, <laughs> during lunch period. In the school, so I had to light up a blunt. I didn't give a fuck. Anyway, the police come, I get arrested. I have to go to court-ordered rehab. So I go and I clean up, and uh, I fucking lose all my friends, start my junior year of high school with no, no friends fucking at all. So I'm like, I need, a good, I need to get my grades up. My grades are shit. So I'm like, I'll take acting. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. 
whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. So I'm like, I'll get an easy grade. But what was your inspiration to get into acting? It couldn't have been the rehab. You had to have seen something early I needed on. an easy grade. I needed a fucking so A. So it had nothing to do with watching anything. Nothing to do with it. I needed a fucking A on my report card. I'm like, oh, acting, fucking do that. So I do that, I do like beginner's theater. And then the director was like, holy shit. She's like, we're gonna move you into the advanced class. So I do uh, dramatic theater. And then an improv company came to school and like, they were like, well, yeah, we're starting a high school league. So I started uh, doing improv. And I met my, one of my best friends, Colton Dunn, who's on the show Superstore now, which is so funny. Me and him went to, we were best friends. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> long story short, that's how I got into acting. That was the first thing. But um, to answer your thing, so, I, you know, I've drank my whole life. I, but, you know, I don't drink when I film. I don't drink when I work. Like, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. So it's like, I'm not drunk all the time. That's a misconception. And, you know, a long time ago, I drank because I was dealing with a lot of shit and wasn't addressing it. So there's a difference between drinking with demons and just drinking and having fun. And that's the equation that I solved a long time ago is I went, I went to rehab a couple years ago. I was just on a fucking bender. And uh, I was driving to the airport. I had six sold out shows in Chicago. Driving to the airport, I'm fucking on one. And uh, I just start vomiting in the fucking Uber, and I was like, oh, shit. What's got, the extra charge for that? <laughs> <laughs> no stars. <laughs> I got no stars. <laughs> so I start vomiting, and I'm like, fuck. And I'm like, they're not gonna let me on this fucking plane. So I just call my agent, and I'm like, dude, I, you gotta cancel these shows. He's like, are you shitting me? And I go, no, I go, fuck. I'm all fucked up. And he's like, oh, God damn it. So I canceled the shows, six sold out shows. So he's like, you have to fucking do something. It's like, you can't just cancel shows. So I was like, all right, I'll fucking go to rehab. And so my point of this is, when I was there, you don't have a phone, you don't have a laptop, you don't have anything. So I was processing, I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this? And I realized all this shit that I was going through, all these people I had issues with, my family had issues, all this stuff. And I just, kinda, I just processed all that. And then I got out of rehab and I, you know, I didn't drink for a while and I started drinking again. 
But it was I'd gone I dealt with all these demons, so I was drinking not out of destruction. I was drinking because now I was like enjoying it. Like I drink now, you know. But it's like I have fun. Now I have fun, you know what I mean? I mean I always had fun, but I was there was a the dark shit. But, you know, there's just a big difference, you know, between on how you drink. So, you know, yeah, I mean I'm I'm a drinker, but you know, like I said, I don't drink when I film. Like the last movie I did, I remember Josh Duhamel was one of the leads and the director. And every night he'd be like, you want to get a cocktail? And I'm like, no, I don't drink. And he's like, what? I'm like, I don't drink when I film. And he's like, you fucking kidding me? And I'm like, no. He's like, what about on the weekends? I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't drink when I fucking, when I work. And he was like, oh, shit. I didn't know that. And I was like, yeah, fuck. You know, like. So it's like I'm, you know, I'm, you know, and I don't do drugs in it or anything. So it's like people think that it's like, oh, Nick's just a tornado, but I'm actually not. And it's like I don't drink recklessly. Like I'll sip a cocktail, but like I don't do shots anymore. I don't do just stupid shit. I don't like, you know, I'm not doing like Jaeger bombs or shit. I could go a year without. I mean, like it's not. I never have to have it. It's. It was never about that. It was never like. You know, I had like just a desperation. It was just, I just like drinking. It's just really fun. I also eat super healthy. I don't eat dairy. I cut dairy out. I don't eat sugar. I cut soda out eight years ago. I mean, I, I eat like, I, I'm actually really healthy. But one of my favorite moments is there's a juice bar by my house in Los Angeles. And I go there every day. I'm big on juice. So one time I go and I do all these shots at the juice bar. So I do like a shot of algae, a shot of aloe, a fucking vitamin B, all these. I did like six. And so I'm like walking home and all of a sudden like I don't feel well. It was just like way too healthy. It was like way too much. So I start vomiting. So I'm walking on the street vomiting. And this car of like frat guys like pulls over and they're like, Swartzen's raging. <laughs> oh my God, what a fucking legend. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's aloe. No, it's wheatgrass. And they just thought I was like, just ripping it at two in the afternoon. It was like all like super healthy shit. It made me laugh. All right, I want to go way back. Take me back to where you grew up, the socioeconomic dynamic of your household, the money situation. Was there anything besides trying to get your grades up that you watched with your family or something that was a little message for the future that, wow, that's, I could see myself being involved in that kind of thing. And what was your first break in show business? I never considered, the thing that I did, I, I never like considered acting. I only did it, like I said before, because I had to, but I was always like goofy. So it was all like, my mom showed me my old yearbook from grade school. This is fucking insane. Show me my old yearbook. You know, people would sign the yearbook. So I'm reading the back page. Everyone's signing it. And I would say 70 to 80% of all the people that signed it, and this is crazy, said, someday you're going to be a comedian. Someday you're going to be famous. All these signatures. And they spelled comedian wrong, of course, kids. But like 70 to 80% of, of my peers said that in grade school. And it's so weird. I saw that and I was like, oh my God, that's fucking bizarre. But I was always goofy because I was like, uh, I was small. I was like the runt kid. And I went to like inner city school. So I just felt like 
just to get by, I had to be like weird. What did you notice about your parents and relationships that sort of shaped you throughout your relationships as you were a teenager? I mean, my parents were both funny. They're dry, senses of humor. But I was also the youngest out of three kids. So it was, you know, when you're the youngest, you just always want trying to get attention and shit. You did improv to start off. How did that come about? Was that the acting class or was that something before? Acting class and then a, a touring company called Comedy Sports came through. And they're like, we have a high school league. And so me and my buddy Colton joined it. We did this high school league and competed against other high schools. And then they were like, uh, we, we want you guys to be a part of the actual company and be like main stage. So these are all like performers have been performing forever. So we did that. We were main stage, me and him, my buddy Andy Ritchie, rest in peace. Uh, we joined the main stage and uh, I started doing that. And then I looked down on stand-up, actually. <laughs> I thought it was corny because I was like an improv snob. So I was like, you know, we're making shit up as we go. I'm like, stand-up, they're like, they already know what they're going to fucking say. I'm like, it's fucking lame. And then the improv company folded. So they went, they got bankrupt and everything. So I was 18, I had no uh, outlet to perform in. So I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll try stand-up. So I told my buddies, I'm like, let's go do the open mic. So they no-showed, so it was just me. And uh, I had my little notebook, and I'd written out a semblance of an act. And this is fucking crazy, too, this is a side note. You gotta hear this, this is crazy. I was working at Planet Hollywood at the time. I was a busboy, Planet Hollywood, Mall of America. I'm writing in my notebook, my act. And then I wrote on a piece of paper, I go, someday I'm gonna be on the wall in Planet Hollywood. And then I did my set, it went great. They were like, holy fuck, that was fucking insane. They're like, keep coming back, whatever. Long story short, jump cut to 15 years later, and they're putting my hands and picture on Planet Hollywood in Times Square. And I just started crying. Because I was like, holy shit. I remember writing that someday I'm gonna be on the fucking wall. And there I am, on the wall. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels you pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune.
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.